I, I, I found the inequity in the publishing space to be somewhat staggering. You know, mm -hmm. the book was able to be brought to life because of a great deal of privilege and access and resources. And throughout the whole process, I was asking myself, how, how possible would this have been had mm -hmm. we not had this or this or this? And the truth is, it wouldn't have Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Arthur Woods is a social entrepreneur and LGBTQIA leader working at the intersection of equity, inclusion, and technology. He is the co-founder of Matheson, a venture-backed technology platform equipping employers with everything they need to manage their diversity hiring efforts. He was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 and 40 Under 40 by BEQ. He is a three-time TEDx speaker and previously co-founded Out in Tech and Imperative. Thank you for coming back to Diversity Dish. It's so nice to have you back. And today my guest is Arthur Woods. And Arthur Woods is the author of, <laughs> no pun intended, I don't think, but Hiring for Diversity. Hi, Arthur. How are you? Hi, Sidrula. It's great to see you. And yes, I, I don't have a dish in the in the title, but uh, you know, there, we, we share the word diversity. So that's perfect. <laughs> nice overlap. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, Arthur, it's really nice to have you here today, and I'm really looking forward to getting into the research that you've done and the, the work that you do in general. But before we jump into all of that, I definitely want to ask, and so that my listeners can also know, what is it that you are most passionate about right now? Honestly, I am most passionate about uh, working on um, ideas that help people bring out the best of themselves in their jobs every day. You know, one of the things that I've thought a lot about is that we spend, we spend the majority of our lives in our jobs at work every day. And work isn't working for a lot of people. You know, I think we saw that so much more in the last year than ever before as people mm -hmm. were staring at this same wall, not seeing their colleagues, oftentimes really kind of asking, wow, am I inspired and passionate about what, what I do. That, that's why I love that you start with this question. So mm -hmm. I have this, um, this personal mission to help people become their best selves in their jobs, to, to be, become part of places that they feel a sense of belonging when they mm -hmm. walk into every day. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got a long way to go to, to, to do that work. But that's the work that you know, I, I, hope, I hope we can really um, make a difference in. I think you're absolutely right that people are, have taken this time and they're kind of stepping back and they're going, oh my gosh, am I really passionate about this? Is this something that I would do even if I weren't getting paid? And mm. I think the overwhelming answer is no, because right. as we also look at the openings, the job opening numbers right now, it's staggering to think that so many people are going, nope, I'm not going back to that. I'm going to do something different. And so they've gone back to 
school or they're doing certificates, whatever it is, they're apprenticing somewhere. They, they've decided that no more. I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's right. That's right. And so it, 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 it's definitely a bit of a silver lining in some ways with this pandemic that I think it's caused people to make courageous moves that they may not, they might not have normal, normally made. Yes. And I love that. I love yeah. that people, I love that people have been able to take that time, but that they also did take the time because it could have been that they had the time, but they didn't take it to do that self-reflection or to even consider that they were just more in survival mode, which not to say that not a lot, that a lot of people are not still in survival mode because right. we know that it's still very contentious, you know, it for is. a lot it of is. people, but taking that time to go ahead and say, you know what, I can make a change and then finding ways to do that, I think is absolutely incredible. I do too. I do too. So we both talk about diversity. I'm a, I'm a consultant for equity, inclusion, and diversity. And when I talk about it, the, the thing that I say to people is always, I don't put diversity first. I put it last mm. because I feel that an organization needs to be equitable and inclusive in order to actually attract and then retain the diversity numbers that they're looking for. What are your thoughts on that? I could not agree more. I, I love the idea of sequencing the D last because I, I think, you know, one of the things we wrote about is there was this, this total misconception among so many leaders that all of their problems would be solved if they just brought more underrepresented candidates in the door, right? right, right. And I'm sure you've heard this so many times in the, in the you know, organizations that you've consulted. I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, many leaders woke up and said, wow, we don't have enough representation in the room. Let's go find more people. Let's go source them. Mm -hmm. And to your point, they didn't uh, look at their, the equity of their systems, the, the culture of inclusion that they were building. And so not only did they find that a lot of people just didn't even want to work there, but once they were hired, many folks were leaving, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, one of the very first things that we said was, you know, we can't have diversity without equity and inclusion. We hope that organizations will take a systemic approach to looking at uh, the accessibility of their systems and that they will be really mindful of the environment that they're creating for people. Right. I think uh, historically what has often happened is you bring people in and you expect them to be a certain way or expect them to fit into a certain box that mm -hmm. is comfortable for you, not thinking that they need to feel comfortable themselves within the organization and within the, the job that they're doing. So I think that that shift is really important to bring forth, that it's important that the culture shifts. So in your book, you have your, you, you've written a book called Hiring yeah. for Diversity, which I think is fantastic. What is the secret sauce? <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't share the secret sauce. No, but... no, no. The, the, the whole reason for writing it was just to, to make it not a secret. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I, I think first of all, I think there were there were a few things, um, and and you know, you you were already beautifully touching on 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 some of this, right? Uh, one was to get beyond this idea that this is a short term initiative that only involves bodies of people we bring in the room, right? Yeah. So one huge tenet was let's rethink this as being short-term and actually make it long-term, right? 
we're not going to figure this all out overnight. You know, we're talking about changing the hearts and minds of people. We're talking about changing the equity of systems that have been longstanding and inequitable, right? Um, right. And that have been working for a subset of our population since the beginning. And right. let's face it, there's a reason they were designed this way. <laughs> exactly. So dismantling, you know, unlearning and all of that. It's like, we have to just accept that that's not happening overnight. So there was a huge kind of reframing, right? There was this, a, a, another major piece around shifting responsibility because we found that, and I know as you've seen in all of your work, you know, the, the responsibility of this work oftentimes is sequestered to this small group of leaders, you know, the talent leader, the one sole DEI leader who is, isn't resourced, doesn't usually always have a lot of authority, um, is trying to balance a lot of other major obstacles, especially in this time where the nature of work is changing on a daily basis. And it's mm -hmm. just completely unsustainable to imagine that such a few number of people will be the only folks to drive this work forward. So we right. were very passionate about this idea that let's shift this from becoming their responsibility to becoming everyone's responsibility. Yeah. Right. And and the final piece is that, you know, we we really found that there was this oftentimes myopic definition of diversity itself, which was causing leaders to operate in a very performative way, you mm -hmm. know, not in a way that was saying, how do we lift all communities that aren't represented? How do we instead make it look like we're lifting communities that maybe are in pop culture, you know? And so I think this idea that we we embrace a, a really holistic understanding that diversity is intersectional, mm -hmm. that diversity is is visible and invisible, and that you know if we if we don't sort of embrace a more you know inclusive understanding of what that really is, we're we we aren't really even aiming for something that that is common and and understood. Right. So basically, what you're saying is. Hey, as you listen to the rest of this show, think a little bit about how you relate in terms of sensitivity to the people who are different than you. I've just opened up, again, my Educate to Elevate Racial Sensitivity course. It's a self-propelled course that will help you feel more confident and more equipped to handle situations of injustice, prejudice, or discrimination. You'll learn, among other things, the Love Us formula that you can quickly access, allowing you to respond powerfully in the moment. To learn more, go to diversitydish.com and look for Racial Sensitivity Course in the sidebar. I look forward to working with you. Diversity is diverse. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean... It really is. And I, and I think that that's hard for some leaders to, you know, to, to grasp that, wow, I mean, what do you mean diversity isn't just two things, you know, and it's not just what I can see on someone's LinkedIn profile. Right. And um, that, that's, that's a shift, as you know, for, for a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a mind shift that, that I think a lot of people need to go through. A lot of leaders need to go through and understanding that, the boxes that you've been putting people in and it have been working for so long just right. don't work anymore and they so don't. you really have to really what we're talking about here though and what i say oftentimes when i am consulting or when i'm speaking or when i'm you know sharing with people is that mm -hmm. what we're talking about is human humanity right, right? it's understanding human to human that as humans and as humans with cultural religious 
sexual, whatever differences we have, those things come with a story that shapes how we can or can, you know, operate in this world. Yeah. And so tapping into people's humanity is what's really important Mm. when you're thinking about equity and inclusion is saying that each person that you see in this room has a voice that ought to be listened to. Every person that you bring into the organization has something to contribute that ought to be considered, right? Yes. It's kind of shifting in, in that way and getting, you know, it's, it's what's hard. And like you said, is that you have to change a lot of minds. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and let's face it, it, this, this involves, you know, a whole shift of trust, as you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, so many leaders, the reason they haven't done this, you know, made this shift is, is they believed that this is going to sometimes somehow hurt their organization. It's going to um, cause them to admit that they don't, that they, they're not in control, that they, they, they don't have authority, that they're, they're, you know, they're insufficient. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of fear that has held leaders back from this, this shift. I do think something that's, that's happened, and I'm really curious, you know, what you've seen given, given all, all that you lead to, you know, I think leaders, many leaders we've witnessed have really woken up this last year. Mm-hmm. And I think they've shifted posture from, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. We, we work with this amazing organization, 23andMe, the genetics testing company. They sent out this amazing, uh, this amazing note, uh, you know, after the murder of George, George Floyd. And they said, you know, when we, to paraphrase, you know, when we do a lot of, when we did a lot of soul searching, we realized not only were we not contributing to the solution, we were actually part of the problem. The inequity that exists, especially as we look at medical testing, we look at the composition of the folks that are, have been, you know, surveyed to inform our product all the way to the the very customers we serve right now. We're not leading it in an equitable way and we're going to change that. And I love that it was so raw and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and it was, and it, you know, not only was it honest, but it commanded so much respect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a, a leader traditionally would have said, you can't admit to being wrong. Are you kidding me? They're going right. to, the people are going to get so upset with us. We're going to, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, chastised. And it was the complete opposite. And I think it, it just was a testament to the times that, that that sort of posture is what is building trust. And, you know, vulnerability is a path to strength right now, you know? Yeah. I think Brene Brown has a lot to do with that. <laughs> yes, I do. With helping I think us you're understand right. this. She, she absolutely does. You know, that I think people have really been listening to, you know, her message and embracing it and realizing you're absolutely right. When someone comes to me and doesn't just say by default, my day's great, everything's perfect, and actually says, you know what, I'm not doing okay right now. That's a whole different way of building connection to someone. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's again, it's a different posture. So I, I think that to me, that that's a, that's a huge win in this, in this movement, you know, that leaders yeah. are shifting posture. I think that is a very huge win for sure. Um, and I do agree with you. It takes, it takes vulnerability. It takes the not needing to be the right all the time leader in order to be yeah. the great leader that, you know, people want to be. Uh, I was making dinner with my daughter, something very simple. I was making dinner with my daughter the other day and we were following a recipe and Mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing and I'm going, oh, it's not, there's something wrong with it. And she says, mommy, I don't think that you, 
I don't think that you put enough of, you know, I think it was butter. I don't think you put mm-hmm. enough butter or something. And I said, I said, you know what? You're right. I think I, I read it wrong and I didn't put enough. So let's put more in. And then I thought about it and I was like, how easy is it to just say, you know, yeah, I think I was wrong. Let's, yep. let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's, let's make yeah. that change. Let's, let's, let's fix it. Right. Yeah. As a parent. I don't know if you're a parent or not. Not yet, um, not yet. But uh, but I but but through through uh, through association, we've got nieces and nephews that we're we're the we're the gay uncles for. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's but, that's by the way, that's always the, the easiest. It's easiest to be the the uncle or aunt that, that flies in and flies out. You get all the joy and none of the responsibility. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do. But you're also such a great part of the growing up of those nieces and nephews that's right that's right but as a as a parent one of the things that I've learned on this parental journey my son is 15 my daughter is 10 Mm. is that it's okay and it's absolutely necessary to say honey I was wrong I'm sorry tell me again let's figure this out Because what it does, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's almost the same as the dynamic that you need within an organization. It's true. Right? So once that happens and you can have that honest conversation, the next conversation will be much easier and you'll get more honest interchange because, Mm. you know, that child goes, you know what? The last time she knew she was wrong. We talked about it. It was okay. Let's talk about this next thing. I'm sure that it's going to be okay. Right. It's so true. It's so true. And you know what resonates about that? I, I, by the way, I love, I love, I love it. I, I love the example being in real life too, because I think sometimes we put ourselves in work mode and then home mode. And we don't realize that to your point, these things are so parallel, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, our posture at home with our kids is, is truly, you know, uh, it's truly symbolic of the way that we lead. It, it has a lot to do with our values and our philosophy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I've been thinking a lot about these stages of psychological safety, you know, and you get to that, you know, what third stage of, you know, do I invite contribution? And then the fourth stage, which is, do I invite, do I invite challenge, you know? And I, I think, you know, a new team member, you know, that's just first joining and it's like still calibrating, like mm-hmm. how do people speak up here? How, do, how does, you know, constructive feedback get received? I think people calibrate. And if, you know, the moment they, you know, someone overhears a team member that says, Hey, I think you didn't put enough butter for <laughs> the equivalent. You didn't, you know, you didn't put enough of something right. and, a, and a boss to respond and say, no, 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 I, I'm not right. I'm not wrong. Come on. I mean, it, it truly does. It, it sends someone immediately to those, you know, early stages, if any, to say, right. Oh, okay. Don't speak up and raise your hand and challenge anything here. That's going to get shot down, you know? So it, yeah. it, it, I, I think it, it really does engender this, this, you know, culture for better, or for worse of how, how you will speak up. Your daughter is probably more likely to tell you when, 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 uh, you know, when, when something else is missing in the recipe, let's face it. Right. Exactly. Because of the way that you responded. Right. And it's, you know, it's just a matter of how we're, how communicating, right. Just not just shutting things down but the yeah. way that you communicate and we also have a way of communicating that says hey we really want to hear your ideas while 
at the same time saying, we don't want to hear what you have to say, <laughs> right? That's true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and again, I think this gets back to, you know, one of the, one of the things that was also really interesting about this whole work was, you know, we had to just be very vulnerable in, in a spirit of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We had to be vulnerable and say, we are not experts. And I, as a white man, as a gay white man, I am not the only voice you should be listening to. If you want to do this work well, listen to many leaders, listen to your people. You don't need authority. You don't need experience to have a, a very vital voice in this. Also, this playbook, you know, we, we did a lot of work on it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it, but this is not the sole resource, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and if, if someone is trying to read a prescriptive guide, you know, we can try to be as prescriptive as possible, but I can guarantee we're going to miss something. Mm -hmm. So take this as a resource, take an iterative experimental approach. But I think there had to be this, you know, this really dismantling of this idea of expertise and prescriptive strategy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it, it just, it's like, and, and we love to get, you know, I think this is, honestly, this is a, this is a white supremacy tenet of this idea that what's written is authority, right? I, you know, I think we have to get beyond that, you know? Just because a book is there, I I, I certainly have to t tell you. I mean, I know you've you've, you've also you know, worked with so many authors. I I I found the inequity in the publishing space to be somewhat staggering. You know, mm -hmm. the book was able to be brought to life because of a great deal of privilege and access and resources. And throughout the whole process, I was asking myself how how possible would this have been had mm -hmm. we not had this or this or this. And the truth is, it wouldn't have come to life had there mm -hmm. not been a lot of things lined up. So the very nature of a, a book coming to life, and you start to see the fact that we, we do operate in this world where someone has a book and all of a sudden they are an authority and something's mm -hmm. written and all of a sudden it's a little bit more sort of substantial than something that isn't. And you, mm -hmm. we, you know, we create these, we create these structures and, you know, these, these somewhat, you know, uh, constructs that, that I think, you know, in many ways sort of pushed against the grain of what we wanted to you know, sort of say here, which is let's all just take different, you know, different points of view and try to try to navigate our journey in an iterative experimental way, you know? Right. It's funny that you brought up publishing. I'm reading right now, The Other Black Girl, mm. which is a great book, by the way. Are you, are you enjoying it? I am. I'm, I'm loving it. And I'm, I'm almost shirking my responsibility so I can finish it. Oh, I'm, I, well, I, I, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make a, make a reminder to myself to get it. It's the other black girl by Zakia Dahlia Harris. Oh, who is a black it. author. Mm -hmm. And in, in the book, she, the, um, the protagonist is working at a publishing house. And when you talk about publishing, I find it very, very interesting that the gatekeepers, those who are in publishing, are predominantly from a certain group. So they're predominantly white and certain schooling mm -hmm. and certain, you know, breeding for, for lack of a better word. I don't really like that word. <laughs> No, but if you think about it, that, that is true. That is true, right? Right. And so they're the gatekeepers. And if they cannot relate to something, then that thing is, oh, no one's going to be interested in that mm. sort of thing, right? Yeah. And so there, there are these doors that close a lot on authors of, of color or authors 
uh, Black authors, authors who are writing from a perspective that is not a, a white-centric perspective. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's really interesting that what we're saying or what we're trying to achieve is an opening to that, like cracking it open and saying, you know what, there are a lot of other people out there that are going to be interested in a whole lot of other perspectives and that we really need to, to, you know, give those perspectives. Another thing that you said that was really interesting is we don't want to be the know all the one expert, which to me is the guru phenomenon. I think there were a lot of years there where people were gurus. And yes, I thought to yes. myself, how arrogant. First I know, of all. <laughs> I know, I know. It takes, it takes a lot of ego to call yourself a, a guru, right? A guru. But for some reason, the 60s really engendered this, uh, this, this so many, right? It just, there was this, this guru culture. Everyone wanted a guru, you know? Right. So, but, you know, so that was a spiritual guru. And then right. it, it grew into this, I'm a guru on... I know everything there is to know about Facebook advertising. I'm a guru. I'm a guru on Instagram. I'm a guru on YouTube. I'm a guru. You know, I'm a guru for everything. You have a sales team. I'm the guru that you want. It's almost this idea that I can do it. No one else can do it. There's not enough for everyone else, which I think is a scarcity mindset that gets very calcified in some people and so it's like if people aren't going to them then they're concerned about who they are going to that's right but we're all evolving all the time that's right And so is technology like faster than we can evolve with technology it's evolving so we can't be the know-all of you know anything I think it's just kind of like I think you're right (laughs) <laughs> I think we're all permanent students. And I think if we, and again, this is a, this is a big sort of shift that, that there, there, there aren't experts and apprentices. There aren't experts and novices. There are permanent students of work that, that every day has to have a new lens, has to gain a new perspective. The very nature of it is that there isn't a destination. It's a constant journey. And I think for leaders, that's kind of scary because it's like, no, you can't attend the master class get your certificate and be done with this. You know, it is, it is like, if you're signing up for this, as you know, you're signing up to be a permanent student who by nature will not, will not ever achieve this sort of guru status. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You better strap in for the long haul. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But you know, I have to say that the DEI leaders that I've, I've been just loving and I, I, I love this community so much because I don't, I don't need, it's very rare to meet someone who comes in and says, oh, no, 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 I know. No, no, I, there, I don't need to, I don't need to attend that talk. I, it's like the, 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 the folks that I just, I just, I just personally took so much up from are the ones who are in the front row listening to a new speaker and, and taking copious notes. And just, it's like, there's a, there's a humility, uh, I, I think, in the community uh, that I think does recognize that, gosh, there's always it's like we're, we're soaking in new perspectives and that's just, that's the fuel that informs this work. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I think someone asked me on, on the podcast, I can't remember which guest it was, but they asked me, they said, what, what do you know now that you didn't know before you started your journey as a, mm. you know, equity inclusion and diversity consultant. And I said, the one thing that I did not realize is how much I would be constantly 
learning and having to learn and continue to, you know, I pull one string and it, you know, unravels the sweater and I have to go through the whole thing. And then I pull another string and it, you know, it's kind of doing the same thing. Um, that was, you know, to me, I was like, I didn't realize how much of a student I was going to need to be like a permanent student, you know, you're like, Mm. Oh, I'm done with school, you know, whatever. I'm like, (laughs) this is like, you know, constant, you know, articles and books and podcasts and just, you know, soaking in information all the time so that it can be an, so that you can be informed and have an informed opinion versus just an opinion. And yeah, I, 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 that so resonates, you know, and it, and it, I, I think that the analogy I, I, I've been thinking a lot about is, is the, the joy of like an archeologist who, you know, goes to a dig, goes to a site and is just uncovering so much. And it's like the past is informing so much about the future. And mm-hmm. I think the one thing I, I personally, I, one of the, one of the many things I, I struggle with many things, but one of the many things I think I do struggle with is this, this constant balance between wanting to deeply immerse in the work, in the artifacts, right. While also mm-hmm. being on this journey with so many that are trying to, trying to kind of press ahead. And there is this feeling of urgency, and, right. you know, it, it, because there's, there's, as you know, there's just, it, you could, you could just permanently be, you know, sort of in, in, engrossed in the work itself, in the, in the research. Yes. And, and there would be so much, so many threads to un, un, unravel, you know, yes. and yet there's this balance of like, but I need to show up to this meeting and right. talk, talk about this with a team and, and, and guide them through it and be on the journey with them. So it's, a, it's, a, I feel like it's just that constant balance, right? Yes. It is a constant balance. And it's, it's also for me, I also find that I've had to put a lot more uh, boundaries in place, even for, Mm. you know, personally for myself as well. Am I going to read another book right now? Or am I going to just read a book for fun? Like, am I going to read right, the other right, right, right. Yes, it's like, or joy, am I gonna... is it, can it be, could it be fiction? Right. I mean, that's a good, right. it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. I know. It, 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 it's like, and because the work is so pervasive in life, um, there, you know, there's an equity inclusion implication in every facet. It's like, it's, it's hard to turn that, that off and you don't mm-hmm. want to turn that off because that's who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a lot though. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. It, you know, it's a constant, you know, I have to constantly tell myself, no, I'm not going to post about this. I'm not going to write about this. I'm not going to think about this right now yeah. right now i'm gonna go do this other thing that yeah. edifies my life because i love I am that more than just a one you know one-sided person i am a multifaceted person and i would like to remain multifaceted mm. um in you know in the different things that i do and the different approaches that i take and because i think that that's the best way to also relate to other humans as I'm I agree. doing this work, right? I agree. We have to find we have to find connection points with others, with each other, so that we can connect at those points and then we can inform ourselves of, you know, as we need to go on in the work or, or what have you. That that it really resonates. And part of I think the beauty of of continuing to branch out of the quote unquote industry, right? Whatever we want to call that, right? Or the, or the domain that we, we sometimes find ourselves in with the work is that we have to, I think, you know, storytelling and metaphor is such a powerful instrument for shifting mindset. 
And we've experimented with, you know, explaining something to someone by giving them, you know, bulleted lists of things to do. <laughs> and then by, then by actually saying, let's actually just break this down to like a real story. And it's amazing how hearts and minds are changed by those stories. And I think, you know, even, even drawing yeah. from fiction, you know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, it, it is, a, is a powerful way to explain some of these extremely complex ideas. So it's amazing how even that is, is contributing to this, this work in its own unique, powerful way, right? Yes, Absolutely you know, when you say fiction work, as I read, I was reading a book. Well, this one, the, the, the other black girl, I was talking to some members of my book club, because I do have a, a book club that I started to read um, black literature specifically, because I feel that the more you buy the books, the more you read the books, the more demand there is the better it's going to be for other Black authors, you know, coming forth. Mm. But as I was talking to them, I said, you know, the thing about the other Black girl is I'm reading it and I can understand and feel the protagonist's mm. plight. I've read other books that I've enjoyed, but from the perspective that were, they were written and from the protagonist, of course, usually it was more of a white protagonist. Right. I could right. understand it and I could empathize with it because, mm. you know, I've been raised in this society. But in this book, I'm feeling it very deeply because it is, it speaks so clearly to my experience to my lived yeah. experience into the things yeah. that I would be thinking and and doing and that in and of itself is an incredible shift right that is an incredible thing to experience and you wouldn't understand it unless it was something that you experienced yourself right I completely agree with that. And I, and I think we, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's power. I mean, empathy is such a powerful, you know, mm -hmm. uh, thing to grasp. And I, and I think to be able to, I think this is why it's so important that every single, every single facet of our lives has representation because mm -hmm. it's amazing how, you know, we, we, we look at even just literature and look, even looking at the publishing industry to see how many, you know, the vast majority of people are white old men who are authors, you know? Right. And of right. course it's like, that means that, you know, that, that, that the books that are in the hands of the majority of people are written from only one perspective, really. Perspective. And it's like, we think about the, the implications of that. And it's like, wow, that, that really, you know, that, that, that needs to change. Right. right. And so I, 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 to me, I, I, I think that that is just, uh, it's just so powerful to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as we're thinking about it, it's also interesting to think about the idea that the historically the great thinkers or the great artists or the great anything have been from one perspective. So when you start to shift that and you go, wait a minute, there had to be other writers, other perspectives, other yes. perspective. there had to be, you know, other people writing things, there had to be other artists doing other types of artwork, but they yeah. weren't, they weren't brought forth as the greatest purposely, right? That is In right. In order That's to right. create this, to create this 
dynamic or this vision that, oh, greatness only comes from one race and not from the other races. That all is secondary. So in trying to shift that perspective, sometimes you just have to bring it down to the most simplest, the simplest of stories, right? I'm starting a group coaching program that is specifically designed to help people tap into their strengths, their Mm. passions, and using the intersection of those two things to work in their purpose within Mm. social justice. Oh, I love that. Instead of looking around and going, oh my God, it's too much, it's too much, it's too much, I can't do anything. What if we just look at just the areas that you're really passionate about? Are you passionate about art? Are you passionate Mm. about music? Are you Mm -hmm. passionate about gardening? Are you passionate, whatever it is you're passionate about, trust me. (laughs) That's your fuel. That's your, that is, that is, it's so powerful. I love it. I love it. Did you ever read the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron? Yes. I love Uh, The Artist's Way. I know. I feel like I need to go back to it actually. And need to schedule an artist date. (laughs) You know, what about like group artist dates? I feel like that, you know, my challenge is I I do these artist dates and I, um, that, you know, I guess for folks that aren't familiar with the book, um, Julia Cameron was this, uh, was this uh, uh, artist, you know, kind of what, like a, she had kind of like a writer's block. She was doing movie scripts, right? Right. And she just, she had a lot of self-doubt and fear and she, she tried to really kind of reinvigorate herself with joy around the nature of what she was doing to kind of give herself permission to create. Mm-hmm. And that she would schedule these artist dates that were like the uninterrupted times to be creative. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cool. And by the way, this is something I, I really struggle with because it's the kind of thing it's like, well, oh, it's my artist date. I can, I can skip over that. You know, we, 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 <laughs> yeah. we really prioritize these aspects of our life. Right. We do. We do. And that's why I say, you know, I've, I really, I really work hard to be very, very, very intentional. Mm. Um, Saturdays, I say I'm not working on Saturdays. I just yeah. don't work. It's good. Just so, shut your brain off. Yeah. Yeah. So I, get up in the morning. I'll take my dog for a walk. You know, we'll do a half hour walk and then I'll come back, take a shower, get dressed, grab my daughter. And she and I go for a boba tea date on Saturday morning (laughs) because we have to drive like half an hour to get to the nearest boba tea. But it's totally worth it, right? For some good boba tea, you got to do it. It's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. So we do that. And then right after that, maybe we'll do a little shopping. Maybe we'll have some errands that we have to run. But if not, we'll come back home. I get into grunge clothes and I'm doing a DIY project in the house because I love DIY. I love that. So we're painting our, our kitchen cabinets. So I'm painting the kitchen cabinets. But it's just about doing the things that move me, that feel good, that have nothing to do with the work and everything to do with my joy everything to do with, you know, with my life as a human. And, and there are times I will say there are times where I'm like, Oh, I, I I really, I can maybe just an hour and I have to say, no, you, you You got it. You got it. It has to be sacred. It has to be sacred. You know, I'm with you. Yeah. It's so so easy. What is it that you do? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, I'll say, um, you know, it's it's really interesting. So, so I, uh, I I found a couple things. One is that um, I I am a huge fan of music. I, I used to be uh, I used to um, play a, a trumpet in a symphony way back mm -hmm. when. Wow, and, nice. Uh, and my my life partners in the music industry, and so I find even just the chance to sing or the chance to just actually explore a new music genre that I don't, I didn't know about. And this is like a good example of just subtle ways to get out of my comfort zone. You know, I, I tend to say, Oh, my fit, you know, my favorite music is blank, blank, blank. But well, what about that genre that I've never heard before? Yeah. Why, why have I been so resistant to hear it? And let's go in. And again, kind of the excavation, let me go uncover. What is it about this that, that became the created community that created, you know, uh, shared, shared creation. Right. And mm -hmm. And I, so I, I'm fine. And again, it's, it's, it's yet just like a subtle way that even exists outside of the DEI realm, quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. That, that to me is, it, it actually teaches me something about even the work that we're doing, which is there is a whole community of people of perspective that I'm not aware of that mm -hmm. I've actually, for whatever reason, mentally kind of blocked myself from engaging in. Why is that? You know, so it, mm -hmm. it, and then, and then to appreciate it for what, what its art is, you know, that to me has been just like, just kind of a joyous thing that, that you can do on a walk somewhere too, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can, there are so many ways to, to just allow your mind to wander. I mean, yeah. is that, that's also part of the artist's way, right? In the book, she says, you know, go to a museum and just take in the art. If, yeah. In order to, to jumpstart that creativity within your mind. And there's yeah. creativity in everything. There is. Right? And the more creativity that you can bring to everything, to whatever it is that you're doing, the, the more engaged and more passionate you're going to be about it. That's right. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, every moment that we, I, I think something that the, D, the DEI community, the D, DEI leader community needs to, you know, needs to do a lot of self-care right now, you know? And this is something yes. I, I talk about with every every DEI leader I'm speaking to is that this year, you know, you know, you know this, everyone's been pulled in so many directions. And this, you know, it's like it's it's gone from let's knock on the door to being pulled in every door, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking on the door trying to say, hey, hey, we should do this all of a sudden. No, we need this. Um, so it's been a it's been this frenetic pace. And and that that I think is the the piece that I'm I'm I'm, I'm really trying to just tell leaders as much as possible. So let's try to take a deep breath and slow down. You know, this work, yes, it is so important. But like, if, if we try to rush right now, we're going to cut so many corners. We're going to leave people out. We're going to, it's going to, we, we're actually going to risk being totally performative, you know? So the, the ability to take a deep breath and slow down is just something I think every leader needs to hear. But it means that the, the I think DEI leaders also have to really care for themselves right now. I, yeah. I see so many folks that are on the edge of burnout, you know, because it's been feast and famine and, and this is now feast mode. And so we need to, Hey, I need to get in the buffet line, you know, 10 times, right. 10 times this sitting, you know, it's like, yeah, but that's not sustainable, you know, right. uh, in terms of your, your mental and, and physical and spiritual well-being right now. So I think that that self-care is just, uh, I just, I, I hope we are, we're all creating the space for ourselves to go through that, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that part of the burnout comes with thinking that people are thinking about it now, they're not going to be thinking about it in two years. And so I have to, you know, do as much as possible right now. When yeah. in reality, yeah. I really think that 
the more we keep talking about it, the more that we're putting it out there, the more that people are hearing and understanding and learning, the better leaders we're going to be able to work with because they're going to be ready in two years. Some may just be getting to it now and not really be ready until two years. So there's a there's an yeah. incubation period as well, right? There's this this period where you take in information, you go, oh my God, really? Like, how did I not see this? And then you start to see different things. It's kind of like when you want to buy a new car and you're like, I want to buy this new car. And then all of a sudden, everywhere you go, that's the car you see. And you're like, oh man, look, that's, that's the car I want. That's the car I want. <laughs> right. Because that's just, you just keep seeing it. And so yeah. I think that, I think that there's going to be plenty going forward. A lot more yeah. people are going to become more aware and a lot and there will still be work to be done. And so we can't burn ourselves out right now. We have right. to, we have to, we, we have to do the slow glow thing, right? We're, I like yeah. it. The slow glow, the marathon, not a sprint. It's That's like, right. we've, got, we've got 10 other laps. If we burn ourselves out that first lap, it is really not going to work, right? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. So tell me, Arthur, how did you, or what was your catalyst for getting into DEI work? Yeah, you know, honestly, part of it was being, you know, being in the, being in the HR technology world and hearing how many leaders were just so significantly struggling with this work, right? Navigating it. And I, I was hearing, I know, as you've heard so many times over, also just some dangerous, dangerous thinking that was either mm performative, short-term, you know, a lot of leaders that just weren't empowered, you know, that mm -hmm. were like, you could just tell it's like, you are, first of all, you're in the wrong organization. This organization does not ascribe <laughs> to your values. Mm -hmm. You are this, like, you're trying to roll a rock up the hill and no one's there to help you with it. And it, that's, that's not going to change. So I was kind of seeing it all. I know, I, I'm sure every, every, you know, everything that, you know, we're, we're all kind of seeing right now from the good, the good to the, the problematic, you know, and, um, and it was, it struck me, you know, A, how powerful would it be to, to start building just more community around this work? So mm -hmm. people aren't navigating this on their own, but there, there is this support of a community of practice that shares values so that we don't have to do this in our own sequestered lanes. You know, mm -hmm. what this idea of staying in your lane right now, to me, seems so antithetical in a time when we need, we truly need everyone, you know, mm -hmm. to, 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 to figure this out together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also just realized that, you know, I, my own personal story of, you know, entering the workforce at a time when it was a little less, you know, LG, the LGBTQ community was less embraced, you know, there weren't mm. floats in a pride parade and there weren't people changing their logos for June, you know, pride month like <laughs> there are today. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I, I experienced some homophobia in my first job, immediately realizing that, again, this is a story that's, that's rooted in privilege. You know, mm -hmm. I can only imagine the micro inequities that communities uh, that aren't that you know folks that aren't a w white men you know are, are experiencing mm -hmm. and if, if, if i'm experiencing you know a, a fraction of this this to me is indicative of a much larger problem that we need to address head on you know mm -hmm. and so that was all kind of the catalyst for me and i think it's it's been i think it's been a joyous work but you know as you know a challenging path because it isn't one that you know this isn't widget selling, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's widget not like, selling. here it is. I sell a widget. It's, it mine's green. <laughs> this one's blue. We're all right. set. Go get it. Here's what, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, 
it's a, it's a complicated, you know, category to be like truly unraveling every day. And, but also one that I just think is like so deeply, you know, deeply uh, connected to, to our values, you know? And so it's, yeah. been, it's been really, um, really just a purposeful path, I think. Yeah. It's, it's deeply rewarding as, 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 as frustrating as it can be sometimes and as overwhelming as it can sometimes be as well. It's also very deeply rewarding. So, which yes. is, you know, why I want to create this, this coaching group coaching thing, because I want people to not feel the overwhelm. I want them to find the reward, right. And find it within something that makes that moves them and seeing how they can actually make that incredible difference simply by doing what they love, but looking at it through a different lens. So, you know, it's just I, kind of I really love that. I really love it. And I think this 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 concept of tapping into the thing that brings you joy, the thing that brings you passion as your as your well of strength is it's really powerful, you know? Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's so, it, it, it seems like it would be so obvious for people, but the truth is we, te- you know, we oftentimes are putting ourselves in a place that brings us a lot of fear and doubt and deficit mindset, not even realizing just what is that thing that activates you, you know? Right. Right. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's really, it's powerful. And I imagine that that body of people will really feed off each other. Yeah. And and support each other and, and, and just become this, you know, I, 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 I'm so excited to sort of just hear how that, that community evolves. It's going to be yeah, really, well, really, I'm, really cool. I'm so excited as I'm, you know, pulling it together and getting ready to, to launch it. But yeah, it's, I think we're so used to going to the drudge job, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a job. I don't really love it, but I do the stuff that I love on the side, or I do the stuff that I love on the weekends or when I don't have to be at this job that I really hate. We yeah. somehow, it, it in evolution we have disconnected joy with being something that we could do all the time that we could That's feel right. all the time in whatever it is that we're doing we're, we're like well if I like it then it can't be impactful if I like it it can't be it, it, can't, it can't really bring me uh, money can it Right, right, right. There's no way. These are separate things. I got to retire, you know, now. That's right. And then, yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, it is, it is, it is really dismantling these social constructs, right? We have to, we have to give ourselves permission to be happy, to have joy, to find purpose. That's a huge thing, you know, and and, and I I think that that's a shift that a lot of people finally decide to make, you know, this pandemic catalyzed a lot of people to make, you know, these courageous moves um, that, again, we wouldn't have normally seen, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just like we were saying earlier, it's given people the time and people have taken the time, right? Yeah. It's one thing to have it, it's another to take it and 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 run with it and do something with it. And so so people have taken the time and I'm really excited to see how things shift and shake out because I think it's it I think that that's gonna be an interesting thing to watch where where people go, where people land, what they end up doing and, and, mm. and how the, how the marketplace, the workplace has to adjust, right. To people versus people adjusting to what the company or whoever says must be the way to go. Right. It's I a, think- it's a, you're absolutely right. It's a completely different orientation and 
posturing as well, right? To, to be able to say, wow, we are, we're putting our people first. We're, we're you know, embodying a sense of trust and we're, we're, we're helping people become their best selves at work. And we're not asking them to, to be controlled. We're not asking them to conform. And those are, those are all, uh, new muscles for organ that, that yeah. especially traditional organizations to try and learn how to flex, right? Yeah, yeah. New muscles. New uh, muscles, new <laughs> mindset, new muscles, you know. New muscles, but this new is why mindset. it's a path for leadership, right? Yes, yes. Speaking of new muscles, my my son and I started doing kickboxing together. <laughs> oh my gosh. You've got so I, many cool activities with your kids. I love it. I, I love do. It. <laughs> Thank you. It's a lot of fun. So he and I, we decided to do kickboxing together. So the first week we went, we went um, on Tuesday and on Wednesday, I was like, oh my God, I can barely move. And my son was like, oh my God, my legs are killing me. On Thursday, I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. My legs are going to fall off. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, it took until Sunday for my legs to feel better. Then wow. the following Tuesday, we went back, which was yeah. actually this, this, this past Tuesday. We went, was it this past Tuesday? No, the last week. Anyway, I don't remember. <laughs> so we <laughs> went back and worked out and yep. I was fine. That's those amazing. muscles, those muscles were fine. So your legs are now super strong. You can kick through a door. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just to say that it's it hurts to exercise those new muscles. It yeah. hurts to make those big changes. It really is going to hurt. And it's not going to just hurt for a minute. It's going to yeah. hurt for a little while. But after that, it's going to feel so good. It's right? true. It's true. And that is truly, it, it's, that's now a capability a per, exactly. like a permanent capability that you you have you know and here's the thing right I think to myself if I stop going to kickboxing I'm gonna have to start again and go through that pain again so yeah. how about I just stay consistent right how about True. companies go through that pain make those changes but infuse them into their whole everything that they do so that they can continue and maintain that. So they don't ever have to go through that pain again. How about that? That's right. That's right. Well, and this is really where for this kind of transformational work, we have to have meaningful conversations, you know, yeah. hearing people's, hearing people's perspectives. I, 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 you know, think about the, the, you know, the story, the working out story with the experience of, of either causing or experiencing a micro inequity, right? Mm -hmm. And how painful that is that if the conversation were to go from calling someone out to calling someone in, you know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden that can go from what will be inevitably a, a somewhat, somewhat of a painful conversation because it's like awkward and no one wants to be on either side of that necessarily sure. in time, but you can em emerge from it a stronger person with, yeah. with greater perspective. And how can we proactively, you know, ensure that those types of meaningful conversations are happening, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So Arthur, is there anything that you would like to bring forth now that we haven't talked about, but you thought, oh, it would be really great if I could get this point across. 
you know, it was such a great conversation. I, 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 I'm, I'm leaving this conversation feeling very full in a good way. You know, it, it, awesome. this, this is why it's good that it's called the diversity dish. You know, I mean, right. uh, I'm feeling like I've been, I, I, I feel very sati satiated right now. Can I use that word, satiated? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, no, I, 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 I think for me, the thing I really, I really loved about this conversation was that it's so easy. It really is so easy for us to get in this work mode around this body of work and, 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 and sort of in, 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 engulf ourselves in everything that is organizational change related and, and not, not remember that, you know, what, what's happening in our life is not independent of this, of this work. This is actually, they're, they're actually truly one and the same interconnected. Mm -hmm. In fact, we learn so much more about what we're doing in this body of work when we think about what's happening in our lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we close out our conversation, I have to ask you my signature question because I know that the audience is waiting to hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite dish? So I have to say it's lasagna. Um, lasagna. Multi-layered, yes, yes. Multi-layered, you know, it takes, a, it takes a long time to prepare, but boy, it's, it's so filling, right? Yes, it's yummy. So are we talking veggie lasagna or meat lasagna or Probably lasagna? meat lasagna, though. One day I'm sure I'll, I'll become a vegetarian. My mother's actually vegetarian. So I, I grew up as the the meat eater uh, you know, with a vegetarian mom. So I'm sure it, it'll one day, one day rub off on me. <laughs> <laughs> one day. That's at right. Least, that's right. At least one mom is hoping, right? <laughs> one day it'll sink in. Yeah. Yeah. She was right all along. She was right. See, example where mom is right. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, author. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. I am definitely going to link hiring for diversity in the show notes as well as any other um websites where people can connect with you because you know they may have questions that they want to direct at you i would love it i would love to connect and, and thank you so much for having me today this was this was so much fun hey did you enjoy that episode if so please leave a review it would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at patreon.com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, don't forget diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.